because the, the Holy Spirit's been talking. Obviously, grace is all we're going to stick with because that's what Jesus gave us. Um, but the thing that the Lord wanted me to talk about this morning is the danger of dead works. So Romans 6 says that Jesus put the body of death, put the body of sin to death in totality. It means he made it of no effect. So the reason a believer doesn't walk in condemnation is because anything done in the flesh, in the body of sin, is of no effect. That's why you can then stop, turn, repent, and walk in the right direction immediately. You don't have to make up for it. You don't have to go into any performance to try to get back to it. There's nothing. You can just repent. And the reason the Bible says confess your sins one to another is because unless you make the declaration out loud, you might not own it in your heart. See, Jesus knows what you did. He knew what Tom looked at. He knows if I looked at Fox News. He knows, he knows what catches our attention for more time than it should catch our attention. He's well aware. He knows everything about you. <laughs> I like that about him. But if I don't confess that to you, if Tom doesn't bring that to you guys, do you know what it means? He may not own it in his heart. It might just gloss over it. Man, that's not really that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. And what he's not doing is taking ownership. And the Bible says confess one to another because you'll be healed. That's why I said during communion, if you have bitterness, you need to confess that to someone. I think the church has gone really, really awry by saying, well, just confess it to God in your seat by yourself. Because people aren't getting free. If that was working, the church would be free. Like, here's communion, confess your sins to God. And people are just, oh, then Monday morning, boom, I'm back in it, you know. Thinking I'm okay, but I never really owned it, never got right with Jesus on it. So, you know, grace, so here's some things I just wrote down. I just, I'm going to read these out to you because I felt the Holy Spirit lead me in this way. Grace is the final solution, okay? It's the final solution. There's, no, there's nothing else coming, guys. Jesus' grace is the final solution. It's done with grace. It's the last thing because he's the last one. I'm the first and the last. Since he's done, grace is it. We're not waiting for another type of something to come. The law was a guardian. Grace is the final solution. So the law came through who? Moses. John 1.17. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach. We didn't have grace and truth until Jesus came. Okay? So, the law is the ministry of death. 2 Corinthians verse three, chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. It says that the law is the ministry of death. Because immediately when the law was given, 3,000 people died. Immediately when grace was given, 3,000 people came into the kingdom. Grace is life, law is death. Okay, I'm just drawing some distinctions for you why grace is the final solution. Those who rely on the works of the law live under its curse. That's Galatians 3.10. If you choose to perform for God, you're living in a curse. If you choose to perform for yourself, you're living in a curse. Because performing for yourself is why you're performing for God. You get it? If you're performing for yourself, you're performing thinking you're performing for God. It's all about self. The only reason you're trying to do what you're doing for God is because you're trying to make yourself better. It's still self-centered. Works for God are self-centered. Follow that? 
So you live under a curse if you're working for self in any fashion. So then it says, the law is a guardian only until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Right? If we're justified by faith, we're no longer under a guardian. The body of Christ is not under a guardian. Okay, that's scripture. For in Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God through faith. You're not under a guardian. You're under Jesus. Okay, that's Galatians 3, 24 to 26. So then, Jesus said this. Not a dot, jot, or a tittle. I think it's how the King James says it, right? The old one, I don't know what my version says, but I, just, I memorized it that way. Not a jot or a tittle of the law will pass away. Ooh. Kind of throws a little wrench in things. Not really. Because what Jesus is saying is what? This contract will never pass away. Because it's holy, just, righteous, and true. It's pure. It's the law of God. The law of God cannot pass away and disappear. Okay, so follow me. Jesus said it's never going to fall, f- fall away. And anyone who teaches anybody to not obey my commands, right... It'll be worse for him. Remember when Jesus talked about it, Yeshua talked about if, you, if, you, if anybody tells people not to follow my commands, what was Jesus' command? Believe in me. It was summed up in believe in me. It wasn't do this and do that and do this and do that. It was believe in me. Because when you believe in me, then I'll dwell in you. And when I'm dwelling in you, you'll do what I do because we're one. How cool is that? So... What he's saying is, the law is not going to pass away, guys, but I'm going to become the fulfillment of it. Because I'm not passing away. Jesus will never pass away. Hallelujah. So then think about this. That, and by the way, that's Matthew 5.18 and Romans 7.12. But he says this. The evidence for you guys and for me that the law never passed away is 1 Corinthians 11. Which says you better take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Because the reason that you haven't taken it in a worthy manner is some of you have gotten sick, weak, and even died. The proof that the law still exists is the fact that you can walk out from under grace and start to strive and live under the curse. That's the proof that the law never went away. The proof is God's saying, you don't have to worry about it. You're not under it. You're not obligated by it. You're under Christ. That's why Paul said, I'll be all things to all people. And I will be out from under the law to those who are out from under the law. I'll be under the law to those that are under the law. But I will never be outside of the law of Christ. Because he knew Christ was the fulfillment of the law. So here's, here's what the truth is. Anything less than grace in your life will produce the fruit of the ministry of death. And that's the fruit of death. Anything less than living in grace will produce the fruit of death. That's Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, it talks about the reality that the fruits you were getting when you were living under self produced death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to But that's not what Jesus intended for us. We're supposed to have abundant life. So so if all of that's true, the law was given by an intermediary. Okay, I'm just recapping a lot of stuff we've talked about over the last couple weeks. 
In intermediary, in Galatians chapter 3, it says it means that there are two. The only reason you have to have somebody in between is because you have two of different kind. So if Keith and I, we are two of different kind. I'm, I'm me, Keith is him. If I'm going to have a relationship with Keith that's legal and binding, I have to have a contract. Because I'm not Keith and Keith's not me. I don't think like Keith and Keith doesn't think like me. He doesn't act like me. He doesn't talk like me. He's him and I'm me. Do you get it? I got to have a contract in place in order for this relationship. He abides by the contract. I abide by the contract. We have a right relationship. Legal and binding. God's very legal and binding. And he established the contract of the law because people were different than him. So it's an intermediary set it up. It says by angels will put it in place because Moses brought the law, John 1.17. Moses brought the law to say the way that Chris can be in a right relationship with God prior to Yeshua is to be abiding by the contract. But the contract's never getting wrinkled up and thrown away. The contract will always remain in place. The issue is there no longer is two. We're one through Yeshua with our Father. I don't have to have a contract with somebody I'm one with. He's in me. I'm in Him. We abide together. I don't need a contract. I don't need a guardian. I have Yeshua. I have the Spirit of the living God dwelling within me richly. The full divine nature. The very great and precious promises. Everything that's in Him is in me. As He is, so am I. I'm so one with Him, the Lord, and I know it and the world knows it. That's life in Christ. It's abundance. And I'm not obligated. See, the other day I was praying on my way to work. And the Lord said, this life is not obligation and duty. This life is invitation and opportunity. Right? That's all of what I've been studying. The Lord has been like draining, putting me in grace and grace. And He's saying, Justin, everything I'm bringing you to is an invitation for an opportunity. Never obligating you. I'm never laying duty on you. That is what was once under you, what once was over people under the law. So you guys follow where I'm going, right? So that's grace. That's Galatians 3, John 17, 2 Corinthians 5. Because of all of that being true, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And the only way you could be the righteousness of God in Christ is if you're one with Yeshua. Because only Yeshua is righteous. And you... Opportunity. Because, see, Jesus is doing this in the last days, guys. He told me that the reason he's baptizing so many Baptist people in the spirit is because he wants no longer to have flakiness in the body of Christ, which we just say that everything that's wild and crazy is Holy Spirit. It can be Holy Spirit, but we have to test it against the word. We have to know the word. And Baptist people have been grained in the word. And God's saying, as long as you've been in the word, I want you now to have my word and my spirit. Earl. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus is doing. That will literally happen. Yep. I had a dream I want to share last week. That's powerful. Yeah, and Earl, you're a first fruits of that Ephesus believer, Pastor. That's who you are. So, even God. So, we're talking about the grace, and this is the move that God is going to do. He's going to accomplish this, right? It's going to be done. However, what Tom brought up this morning is so significant, especially to this day and this hour, because Jesus in Revelation 2 and 3 talked to the New Testament church 
And he warned the New Testament church through seven letters to the churches in Eurasia, right? So look at Revelation chapter 2. And I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5. There's a lot in here, but I just want to highlight a couple things. Uh, well, in, in, so this is the church in Ephesus. In chap, chapter 2, verse 2. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Here's the warning to a new, new covenant believer who's walking in grace. Don't let your heart become attached to anything other than Jesus. That's why Jesus preached and he said, unless you leave your father, mother, brothers, sons, daughters, you can't be my disciple. If you love anything more than me, you're not living as my disciple. See, the only reason you can leave your first love is because you've made room for a second love. So there's a warning to the church at large saying, your attention, your game plan, your journey, your adventure needs to be, how do you love me more every day? That's the church. That's who I am. That's who I, I've declared that to Jesus. Lord, I want to love you more every day. That's all I want. I want to love you more. And when I think I love you pretty good, I want to love you more. You know? Because I want to grow into who he is. Not into what I think he is. And not into what I think others should think that I think he is. I just want to grow into him. Yeah. To love him. So he warns the church about losing the first love or leaving the love they had at first. And here's the consequence. Do you start to lose the love? The consequence is your ability to illuminate disappears. You no longer are the light of the world. You've dimmed your own flame. And here's why. He said he would remove the lamp stand from its place. You will never have more fervency and love for Jesus than if you can serve him as his life through you. Which is to illuminate people around you. Light of the world is never to be shining yourself. It's to be illuminating others. So the light of the world that he's called you to be is to be able to shine on people so they become who he wants them to be. Never so they look at you. Because really intense light can't be looked at. God dwells in immutable light and can't be seen. He's the great light of the world. So what he's saying to you guys and to me is he's warning the, the body of Christ saying one reason that the church has become so inwardly focused is because people have lost their first love the candle stands have been removed and now no one's being illuminated in the fellowship. No one's being highlighted that they might have something to offer. No one's being offered that they may have a song to sing. They may have a prophetic utterance. They may have something that Jesus wants drawn out so people can know who he is through somebody else other than the guy sitting up front. So the reason that the church has become self-centered is because it's treated itself as self-centered. Losing the first love, they love the show more than they love Jesus. And if you love the show more than you love Jesus, you're suddenly not illuminating people around you. And you're not trying to raise anybody up because you're going to lose the limelight. Yeah. Jesus would do the opposite. He would get the limelight on everybody else and then disappear. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. 
You'll do greater works than I will do because I'm going. I'm going to illuminate you and I'm out. How about that? How about the kingdom of God starting to look like that? So that's the, that's the Ephesian church. They're doing things right, guys. But there's place in their heart where other things can have a greater attachment. And Jesus is like, you have to get rid of that. What that is is mixture. What you're going to hear through every one of these letters is mixture. You cannot mix Jesus and his grace with anything. You can't. Or here's the consequence. When you lose your lampstand or ability to illuminate, you fall under the ministry of death. When you look in a dead person's eyes, there's a light that has left their eyes. A live person has life coming through their eyes. So the reason that, the, that, that he's not, Jesus isn't saying like, I'm going to harm you. What he's saying is you lose your first love, you're going to be back living under the curse. Wow. Now you have the consequences of the law and now you can't illuminate. It's already in place. See, when you obey, guys, when you obey Jesus, you're not performing to get his kudos. You're, you're actually following what he already promised. He initiated it. He promises you fall in line and you get the reward. Because he promised, not because you did it. Do you follow me? So obedience isn't your obtaining God's favor. It's God's favors waiting for you to get in line with it. Once you get in line with God's favor, boom, there's the rewards. And he's that reward. So look at the next church in Smyrna. The church in Smyrna had nothing against them. The next church, Pergamum, says in verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. So that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also, you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So here's the two things that Jesus is warning against. Sexual immorality and idolatry. And the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Which, nobody knows exactly who the Nicolaitans were. But they were a mixture of some type. Because they weren't the pure gospel. If Jesus hates them, they're not the pure gospel. (laughs) Paul says, any gospels preached other than this gospel, let them be accursed. Jesus hates other gospels. He hates mixture, guys. He doesn't want your heart mixed loving him and loving other things. He wants you to love him. He doesn't want you mixed physically into sexual immorality or spiritually into idolatry. The Bible says greed is idolatry. The wanting to obtain more is idolatry. For the sake of advancing yourself. Now if you want to obtain more souls in the kingdom. That's kingdom. You want, to, you want to obtain things in the kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to go after. But if it's about you and your kingdom raising you up. That's where you're falling short. Okay. So he's warning the, the, the new covenant believers against sexual immorality and idolatry. And here's the consequence that comes to the church at Pergamum. Therefore repent and if not I will come to you soon. And war against them with the sword of my mouth. The sword of his mouth is the word. The word is the law. That by living under sexual immorality and idolatry, you're living under the curses of the law. 
That's why in Ephesians 5, guys, it says that sexual immorality shouldn't even be mentioned among the body of Christ. That's why Tom was prompted to bring it up this morning. Because it's not just a minimizing small thing we shouldn't deal with and shouldn't have issue with. It's a destroyer of the body of Christ. Harming one another. We're one body, one part, many parts, one body. I want to make a commitment to you guys. I want you to make a commitment to me that you're going to live your life so that this thing can go where God wants it to. That's what I desire. I desire that this thing, whatever God's doing in Townsend Valley and beyond, I want it to go where He's planned it to go. And I don't want to short circuit it because I've made stupid choices about little things. Which will have nothing but the fruit of deadness upon them. So when Jesus said He's going to war with the sword of His mouth, He's only going to come and let the law be be the law over people. And they don't know when. Because He said, I'm going to come soon. So then the next church in Thyatira... What does he warn them against? He says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. There's the two same things. Sexual immorality and idolatry. Coming through two different, through another source, a spirit of Jezebel. The Jezebel spirit. It's one of the most powerful spirits in the body of Christ. It's conciliatory. It puts on its makeup. It looks pretty. It looks like it's supposed to look, right? But in the end, in the heart, it's the wickedness that will destroy. And Jesus is saying, guys, you're tolerating it. Here's a call to the body of Christ for what Tom said. Correction is, hey, we're not tolerating it. And I'm just making a declaration as the pastor of this church with the authority he's given me. I don't tolerate the Jezebel spirit in this place. I don't tolerate it in me and I'm not going to tolerate it in you. Meaning, I'm going to love you to a place that you can be set free from it. If in fact it's on you. That's all I'm saying. I'm not condemning anybody in here. But I'm saying, I'm not going to tolerate it. He wouldn't. He said, throw her out the, throw her out the window and let the dogs eat her up. That's the Bible, not my interpretation. So it's a serious thing to Jesus. So sexual morality and idolatry. So here, what's the consequence then for them? He says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. So here's the new covenant Jesus, resurrected Jesus, describing to you Deuteronomy chapter 28. That's the curse of the law. He doesn't have to do anything. The law itself is already in place. So by the fact that you're going to tolerate it and that you're going to live under it, you will find yourself sick, weak, and dead. goes right back to 1 Corinthians 11, which says, You have not taken the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, meaning grace alone, Jesus alone, only Him for your soul, for your life. And that's why some of you have grown weak, sick, and even died among you. See, the consequence here is the law. It's already in place. So by falling, falling under that, by she, if, if that's what's going to be tolerated, the law is just going to take effect. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's like some people think in that portion of Scripture. And so the next church in, in Sardis, the angel of the church in Sardis, he says this, I know your works. And watch what he says. You have the reputation of being alive. I think, Barb, about your dream, you know, the reputation of being alive. Where people are in the church, they're in the building, they're, they're in the seat on a Sunday morning, 
They're, they're in the place that they're supposed to be. They look the part on the outside. And that reputation is with them. But what's really going on? Jesus is saying, I want you out here in the dancing van that's on fire. Because what he says here is, these guys, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. If you're dead, what does that mean? It means you're getting the fruit of deadness, which is what? It's the law. It's the ministry of death. It means you're operating in a place of performance. And so you're performing for God, performing for yourself, and ultimately you're completely dead. And yet your reputation is, well, you've been to church on Sunday. It was pretty awesome. It was jiving. It was jamming. Guy was on it. Preached a good word. Brought the word. Got a reputation. But Jesus looks at it and goes, you're dead. Because you're not living in grace. You're not living by me alone. My sufficiency alone. You're not believing that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You think you've got to work for this thing. You think you have to perform for yourself. Right? So that's what he's saying. And this is what he tells them. Wake up. Amen. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. So here's Jesus. He's so merciful. Like you're on the brink of utter complete disaster. And he comes and he goes right now. You have an opportunity. Repent right now. You have an opportunity. Strengthen what remains and don't let it die. He says, I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Do you know how you complete your works in the sight of God? Tell God that Jesus is everything in you and believe that in your heart. You fulfill the whole law, guys, when you believe in Jesus. When you really, truly believe that he has forgiven you, that he is your righteousness, that he is your access, that you stand justified, freely forgiven. When you believe that thing and live it and declare it out of your mouth, you are well-pleasing in God's sight because you're making much of Jesus and not much of yourself. You have nothing to boast in. The Bible says you can't boast in anything that you do. What are you going to do? We're going to stand there before Jesus and be like, thanks for saving me. And I'm glad I did these 20 things to get here with you. Stupid. We're just going to get there and fall on our face. I can only imagine. He says, will I dance? Will I fall? Will I, will I just fall on my knees? I can't imagine seeing Jesus face to face. I love to imagine it, but I can't imagine it. I just want to see him. So what he's saying is, guys, you have to wake up because your works are not complete. Remember then what you received and heard. What did they receive? They received Paul's gospel, which was only Jesus. The law has passed away. You're not under a guardian. You're free from the works of the law. So live under grace. Live in Christ. That's what they received and what they heard. And the Bible says in Galatians, they heard it with faith. And and then the Bible goes on to say in 2 Peter, they heard without faith and it never made a connection. See, when you hear it by faith, your, 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 your faith will increase. That's why, how's the Bible, what's the Bible say? Faith comes by? And hearing the? Words of Christ. The now words in our lives. This is a right now word. The Bible is is right now coming alive to us saying, guys, wake up. Keep it. Repent. Here's what his consequence is. If you, and repent, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Here's what it means. It's like in the Old Testament when Jesus said, when, when the Father said, this, the unrighteousness of the Assyrians has not yet reached its maximum. He waited 400 years to see if the Assyrians would repent for the way they were treating Israel. 400 years. He said their time has not yet reached its fullness. Basically saying they, got, they have time and I'm going to let them repent, but they don't know at what time I'm going to break it down. 
Because why? He's holy, righteous, pure, and just, and true. That's what his law is. The Assyrians were living outside of the contract. He was saying you have time to come into the contract. What he's saying to the church at Sardis is Jesus is the contract. And you have time. Come into Jesus. But if you don't, you don't know when I'm coming. You don't know when the curse of the law will take over in your life and wipe you out. And you guys can watch it happen. You can see the curse of the law come into churches and destroy them. Destroy pastors. Destroy the congregation. Split them apart. That's why you got two churches across the street from each other all over these communities. It's the works of the enemy to come in and divide. We're supposed to be unified in one body. So look at the next church. Well, Philadelphia... They had nothing against them. The church at Laodicea, however, look what Jesus says. I know your works, and you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. Because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's a mixture of law and grace. The law is cold. It's a cold contract. It's an established contract you have to abide by in order to be under it. So he's saying, I'd rather you be under the law. Why? Because if you're under the law, you will know the need for you to become into Jesus. But now that you know Jesus, and that's the hot, the life of Jesus, you know the life of Jesus, now you're mixing it back with the cold contract. And in so doing, you've become lukewarm and ineffective. I'm going to puke you out of my mouth. You're going to live under the curse of the law. So... All of these warnings to the New Covenant believers are stay out from under the curses that I paid for. That's what Jesus is saying. Stay out from under the curses that I paid for. I became a curse so you don't have to be a curse. Right? I'm the curse. You're not the curse. That's what Jesus is saying to you this morning. So don't live under it. And here's another way to guard yourself against it. So I wanted to just talk for just a second about... The singleness of I, like what does it mean then to just be with Jesus? It means no mixture and no tolerance for mixture. That's what it means. That's how it began and that's how it's going to continue. Don't mix it. You can't mix them together. You can't mix your performance and His grace. It's His grace alone. So all those things are true about our sin and the death that it's dead. Dead works. That's what the Bible calls them. But here's the issue. When you step into dead works as sexual immorality, for instance, what you are doing is coming from a place of belief about the lack in your life. If you think you lack sexual gratification, you set out with a method on your own to obtain a gratification that Jesus never said was a need in your life. So you start on the premise of a lie. It is a 100% lie that you need any sexual gratification. That's a lie. You cannot find it in the Bible. Yet the church propagates it. I hear many counselors, many pastors, many people. Well, you know, the needs of a man. Wives, you better be subjected to. Wives, you better be. No, it's not in the Bible. So stop giving bad worldly advice about garbage because it's useless. Why, are you, why does the church propagate the lies? They set up people to fail later on in sexual immorality thinking that's neat. I got, I got to have it. You don't. Why don't you fast for 40 days and see if you have any libido left? I'm serious. You struggle somewhere? Put yourself in a situation. Let the suffering increase and see if, see if you still think you need sexual gratification. You'll barely be able to pick yourself up off the couch and you'll realize it's not a need. 
Water? Yeah, that's a need. Food? Yeah, that's a need. Shelter? Yeah. Jesus said, I'll provide those things. So the lie that comes perpetuating in the body of Christ that you need some other form of satiation, sensuality, fix, is a lie. So if you come from the lie perspective, here's what happens. You immediately step under the curse. So now, because you believe the lie, under your own power, because by the way, Jesus doesn't set up circumstances for you to be sexually gratified outside of the loving conditions of a covenant marriage. He established one way, one way only, and that's gratification inside a covenant marriage. He says, keep the marriage bed holy. Not before you're married, before, during, and after you're married. Keep the marriage bed holy. You're in a covenant, right? So sexual morality does this. Starts with the lie. Now you step into self, flesh, to try to obtain what you're hoping to get. You set up a method toward an experience to get an instant result. The instant result you get, though illegitimately gratifying for a very brief moment, sets you up for the condemnation that follows because it's a fruit of death. You fell into the law by trying to perform for yourself what only God should be able to provide for you. So now that you're under the law and the curse is on you, here's what happens. Condemnation can come because you're living under a curse. And here's what happens with condemnation from sexual immorality. Now you think you have to strive to get back to the right standing with Jesus. And you have the dangerous step. The next step is a really small one of just starting to try to earn your way back to God because you fell in the area of sexual immorality. Because all sins are committed outside the body except sexual immorality which is committed against your own body. Now you have an internal destructive supernatural work going on. That's why Jesus is bringing it up to every church in Asia. And every church around the world saying, guys, this thing is is very destructive and I want to shine the light of the truth on it. So here's the issue for a new covenant believer. When you fall into sexual immorality, because Jesus didn't say if you just sleep with the person you've committed adultery. He said if you think about it. I mean, you don't have to look at anything on a computer or a TV screen. You can drive down the road and be full of lust. That's sexual immorality. So call it what it is. Here's what the new covenant believer can do. They can recognize it. Like Tom said, rebuke the enemy who's bringing it. The Jezebel spirit. Bring, rebuke that. I'm not, I'm not going down the path of sexual immorality. But also know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And by his grace in that moment you have the opportunity to turn on a dime and be exactly who you said you are. That's the truth that has to get out. It has to get into the body of Christ. Because otherwise you have a whole bunch of people who come in and are all oppressed because they've struggled and don't know how to get out from under the struggle. The way out from under every struggle is the grace of Jesus Christ. You make much of him and it makes your problems really small. So if you struggle in that area, and all of us have, I I was sexually addicted for 24 years. I have been 100% delivered and set free. I've lived that way since 2009. I don't think the thoughts I thought. I don't lust the th- ways I lusted. But I still am on guard. I'm still aware of Fox News trying to put in a little fox. Haha, <laughs> the little fox is here and there. That'll preach. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm aware. I'm not, I'm not, just because I'm set free and delivered doesn't mean I'm going to go start a pornographic ministry. I don't do that. I, I do what God says. Be wise. Be wise. Be smart. Right? Be vigilant. We know how the enemy pursues us. But for the sexual immorality, guys, the premise is immediacy. Okay? Do you see that? 
The only reason people go sexual, sexually immoral is because you want something right now. Idolatry is exactly the same except in the spiritual body. So in, in sexual immorality is to the physical body. Idolatry is to the spiritual body. What you do is you start from a place of lack. You believe that Jesus is not enough for you spiritually. That's what you believe. And when you believe that Jesus is not enough for you spiritually, that's the lie. That's the premise. Now you think you have to set up a method in order to obtain something swiftly to give you the sense of spirituality inside of you. And when they do that, that's why idols became such a thing in Israel. Because it's like, well, we don't want to sit around here and wait on God. Yeah, because that would help you renew your strength, guys. Like, duh. But they were like, we don't want to wait on God. Somebody make us something quick that we can worship. Because if we can see it, touch it, feel it, taste it, then we'll know that we're moving spiritually. And you know how that's happening in the church, guys? It's happening through the great worship teams and the great preaching and all the things. We're setting these things up. It's like, I need the immediacy of the worship experience. If I don't get the worship experience, I don't know if I can make it through the week. You got Jesus every day of your life. You don't need that. That's just to enhance the relationship you already have with Him. Everything is about enhancing the relationship I have with Jesus. I love good preaching and I want more preaching in my life. Because it enhances my love for who He is. But it's not my source of how I'm getting by. It's not like that. So don't make idolatry this thing that you have to sense, taste, touch, feel, and get an immediate response from it. And honestly, many things that are going to take place in the body of Christ, you know what Jesus really wants? He wants people, this army that's raised up, that are going to heal the sick, cast out demons, and set people free. And they're not even going to be worried about the fact that they were involved. They're going to not even be worried that the miracles are chasing them. The the miracles are literally going to have to chase us down. They're going to have to come on our doors and be like, Hey, did you know I actually got healed? Hey, did you know I got delivered from a demon? Praise Jesus. I'm in here just loving on him. You want to come love him with me? You know what I'm saying? Miracles chase people who aren't concerned about the pride of having a hold of the miracle. I'm telling you, man, pride hides under every shadow of every one of your successes, waiting for you to notice it. It hides in the shadows of your successes, saying, will you notice me? Yeah, it's like if people chase signs, and that's the reason why. So I just, I went somewhere right there. I love Jesus, man. He's so good. Yes. So I'm just going to read you guys. I got two paragraphs I wrote out. I'm just going to read these two as we kind of finish up. And if anybody's got something to share. The Jerusalem Council. You remember the letter that was sent from the Jerusalem Council? You're reading through the New Testament. You get into Acts and you're like, yeah, it's grace. It's Jesus. And then you get this letter that's written to the believers going. And we're just going to warn you. Avoid sexual immorality and idolatry. Anything that's strangled in the blood. And if you do these things, you'll, you'll do well. Farewell. The apostles. It's the exact same warning that Jesus gave us in Revelation. He's saying, guys, sexual immorality and idolatry will destroy your ability to walk in grace. That's why the church was written. That's why they wrote it to all the churches in Eurasia. That's why it was sent out by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, guys, this is a serious deal. The sexual immorality, the idolatry will destroy you. Eating something that's strangled is going to offend your brother. It's about community. Right? If you're going to walk in the grace of Jesus, you know who you're not going to be? The guy who beats his chest and tells everybody in the room they have to do it your way. Because wisdom from above is first of all peaceable and then it's willing to submit. Let, let the Lord be the judge. 
So in grace, you don't walk around trying to divide. You walk around trying to unify under him, Jesus. And that's why you don't eat something strangled, because it would offend somebody. That's why Paul said, I wouldn't even eat meat again if I knew it was going to offend somebody. I'll be all things to all people that I might, by Jesus' grace, save some. Okay? And why do you avoid the blood? Because life is in the blood. Why would you profane something that God said and set apart as sanctified and holy? That was the whole intention, guys. Don't mix. Don't be mixture. By the way, eating things strangled and eating blood was what the pagan people did as part of their worship. So what they're saying is don't even try to don't even look like you're mixed. Don't even look like you're mixed. Avoid the appearance of evil. Have you heard that from your parents once or twice? Avoid the appearance of evil. Whatever that takes. So here's what it says. The Jerusalem Council and the churches in Asia in Revelation 2 and 3. The same warning under the new covenant. Don't mix your effort to please yourself with the finished work of Jesus. Don't mix your physical body with the dead works for pleasure. And don't mix your spiritual body with the dead works for gratification. Tolerating anything other than grace alone and Christ alone is losing the way. And falling back into the judgment of the contract. Idolatry is setting up a method toward an object to satiate a feeling of lack, though an effort, through an effort that can be seen, felt, witnessed, and defined. It's an experience. Sexual immorality is pursuing gratification of a feeling and lack of lack through a method that can also be experienced to produce an immediate response. Watch this. Grace is a reliance on the promise and an ability to rest. Not setting up a method for immediate gratification. But trusting in the reality of all that Jesus purchased for us will satisfy us and fulfill us in due season. Grace is a reliance on the promise and an ability to rest. Not setting up a method for immediate gratification, but trusting in the reality of all that Jesus purchased for us That will satisfy and fulfill us in due season. Not in an effort to make it happen. But an ability to wait on the Lord and renew our strength. Grace is quiet confidence in Jesus' love. No fear can penetrate. Not even a fear of not being satiated. Do you know that's why many of us respond to the things we grab hold of so quickly? We're afraid to not be satiated. Grace says it's okay not to be satiated. There's contentment in that space. Perfect love bought it all and established it all. Grace is being one with perfect love. Unless he needs it, I don't. You catch that? Unless he needs it, I don't. So only what is necessary will be added to me as I rest in you, Jesus. Let my life really be full of grace. And that's the warning to the churches and towns and in Jesus' name.